This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, if we need to be comforted today, I pray that you would comfort us. If we need to be encouraged, please encourage us. Lord, if we need to be challenged, then let us hear that also. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'm going to talk about something that everyone experiences. Temptation. The most righteous godly, upright Christian who has ever lived has had to deal with temptation. Even Jesus himself was tempted. So clearly being tempted is not something that we can expect to be healed from or grow out of, nor is it a mark of our failure, our weakness, or inadequate spirituality. On the contrary, we better get used to the idea that Until Jesus comes again, or we go to be with him before that, we will continue to face temptation. Indeed, I wonder whether it's possible that the closer we get to God, the more we can expect to be tempted, or at least the more we realize what's going on. Grappling with temptation is a lifelong challenge to our Christian faith in our daily lives. Well, this morning, I want to address three questions about temptation. Where does it come from? How does it work? And how can we resist it? First, where does temptation come from? Well, the short answer is the devil. In our gospel reading this morning, we heard, again, as we do every first Sunday in Lent, the account of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. St. Luke tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. So here was Jesus, the Son of God, perfect, without sin, close to his heavenly Father, being obedient, being faithful, and preparing himself For three years of extraordinary ministry and mission, just weeks after the voice from heaven at his baptism had said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the first thing that happens to him is that he finds himself wrestling with temptation. Luke tells us, verse 2, it was the devil who tempted him. But I wonder, what does that mean? Was the devil standing there in front of Jesus like a man in bodily form? You know, I've often pictured it that way. But I don't believe the text demands that we read it that way. Not necessarily. For one thing, Luke tells us that Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. I don't think they were kind of hanging out together all that time seems to me quite possible that these temptations came to Jesus maybe as ideas, as thoughts. After all, isn't that often how we experience temptation? 
You know, had the devil popped up looking like the devil, whatever that is, dressed as a guy perhaps in red tights with a pitchfork and said, hi, Jesus, I'm the devil, and I'm offering you material goods, power, um, and satisfaction for your ego. Just deny God and follow me. Well, I mean, those would be temptations that maybe even I would have recognized and and have been able to avoid. No, Satan is... I, I want to be careful what I say here because I certainly don't want to ascribe to him more power than is his. He, he's utterly defeated. I hope you know that. But he is rather more effective than that crass caricature. So we have to have this balance between laughing at him, which is a perfectly fine thing to do, by the way, um, on the one hand and underestimating him on the other. You, you don't actually want to do either of those things, uh, that would be a little foolish. But as we read the Gospels, we discover that Jesus was tempted in many different ways. You know, on one occasion, Satan even worked through one of his best friends, Peter, to tempt Jesus to avoid going to the cross. But however Jesus was tempted... These ideas, these thoughts, or if there was an actual conversation, these words come from the devil. And I underscore that today because I don't want anyone to think, oh, well, you know, God was tempting me. No, never, ever. That does not happen. God does not tempt us. God does, however, test us. And sometimes that testing may come in the form of our having to face the temptations of the evil one. Here, Luke tells us that it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness, but it was the devil who tempted him while he was there. All right, well, let's press in and and address the second question this morning. Um, We've we've considered uh, where temptation comes from. Secondly, how does it work? Well, I've got four things that I want to say about this. Temptation can creep up on us at any time. Temptation often seems, well, reasonable. Temptation concerns things that are usually within our grasp and within our power to do. And fourthly, temptation can be subtle. So first, we may be tempted at any time. Temptation may come when we're feeling weak and vulnerable or strong and invincible or when we least expect it. Although Luke tells us that Jesus was tempted for 40 days, these particular temptations, beginning with the temptation to turn a stone into a loaf of bread, come after he'd been fasting and he was very hungry. I think our version said famished. And I think it's worth us paying attention to when we might be particularly vulnerable to temptation. You know... Let me give you an example. I know for myself, I actually have to be on guard after I've been preaching. And you might think that's a bit odd. But, you know, preaching's a funny thing. I love it. Um, it can be exhilarating. I find it usually quite rewarding. And sometimes people say affirming things to me. It's all very nice. Um, but, it, but it's also kind of draining. It's exhausting. Now, all of that's perfectly normal. There's adrenaline involved, and actually we're dealing with 
with important things. So there's a, a weight to standing up here, believe me. And so when the adrenaline wears off and when one's given oneself out, you can feel depleted and you can feel vulnerable because you are. And this isn't something unique to preachers. Don't, don't think that for a minute. It will be true for many of you. You know, if you've been teaching all day or if you've been working in the hospital all day or if you've been looking after kids for hours on end, when you stop, you just want to crash and you can so easily let your guard down. But it's important to recognize this so we don't slip into those feelings of entitlement. Well, I'm entitled to this indulgence, to do this sinful thing or behave in this dishonorable way. I'm tired. I mean, God understands. It's all right. It's not all right. Um, so pay attention to when you've been giving out or when you're tired or when you're coming off an emotional high. St. Paul writes elsewhere, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. The simple truth is, honestly, we're, we're always susceptible to being tempted. There isn't kind of a safe time. Well, the second thing I want to say about how temptation works is that often temptation sounds fairly reasonable. Certainly in today's gospel accounts, it's not difficult to imagine how the temptations that Jesus faced could have seemed genuinely inviting and, and reasonable. They, they could have made some sense. You know, I didn't used to think this, by the way. I used to think, well, you know, easy for Jesus. He's the son of God. So, you know, he wasn't really tempted. No, he was. Let's look at it. This first temptation to turn stones into bread. I mean, surely God wouldn't want his beloved son to be famished and starving. I mean, that's just not fair or reasonable, is it? And anyway, what harm could possibly come from Jesus, who was the Son of God, turning a stone in the wilderness, plenty of stones, into a loaf of bread? Where's the harm? And the second temptation. You know, if God wanted Jesus to have all glory and all authority over the world... Which, by the way, the angel Gabriel told Mary was to happen, then why not get that sorted out and established right from the start? And with the third temptation, Jesus is the Son of God, so why not prove it with a spectacular display of power? Well, I'll come to the why not in a moment, but first, I just want you to notice how temptation kind of works. Which brings me to the third way. Temptation comes to us in relation to things that are usually within our power to accomplish, or at least we think we can. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be tempted to turn stones into bread or jump off a high tower. We're not tempted to do that which we obviously can't do, but rather to do that which is kind of within our power to do. The greater the strength, the greater the temptation. That's why I believe these temptations were extraordinarily difficult for Jesus. And fourthly, temptations are often subtle. Now, of course, 
Our enemy, the devil, isn't always subtle. He's quite happy to appeal to our baser natures with money, sex, power, food, or drink, and we'll be glad to lead you astray in any one of those areas later today. But often, temptation comes lurking at our doors and whispering in our ears in slightly more subtle ways. You know, in the, in the Garden of Eden, the devil doesn't um, say, eat this and be like me. He says, eat this and be like God. And so I wonder what must it have been like for Jesus in the wilderness, out there for almost six weeks, alone, hungry, perhaps thinking through his life so far, maybe thinking about what lay ahead for him. Perhaps Jesus was struggling with what it really meant to be this faithful suffering servant, to be this beloved son of whom the Holy Spirit had spoken at his baptism. You see, these temptations went to the very heart of who Jesus was and what he'd been sent to do. They had personal, social, political, and spiritual implications. Would Jesus' ministry be one of turning stones into bread, The poor and the hungry hope so. Would Jesus take political control in order to achieve good for the people of this world? The oppressed and the downtrodden hope that would be the case. Would Jesus win over the skeptics by leaping from the temple, avoiding death in a supernatural display of power? Well, those asking for proof would have been very happy for that. You see, it is actually a little bit more subtle than we might think. All right, so we we know where temptation comes from. Comes where? The devil. We've looked at how it works. I want to turn to the third question this morning, perhaps the most important question for us. How can we resist temptation? And I want to suggest three ways from our scripture today. And they are through hope in Jesus through knowing and using the Bible rightly and through the power of God's love. First, hope in Jesus. In his resounding defeat of the devil's attempt to trap, trick, and turn him from his mission, Jesus has paved the way that gives us hope when we are tempted. We know how this story ends. We know that after Good Friday comes Easter. And today's narrative hints at that. Did you notice how it ended? When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's kind of rather sinister. That opportune time came for the devil in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss and he's arrested. If you come here on Monday, Thursday, as I hope very much you will, um, at the end of that service, you will hear me read Jesus' words from that scene, from the Garden of Gethsemane, and I read it by the light of a single candle before I blow out the candle and the church is plunged into darkness. And these are the words of Jesus that I will read. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but... This is your hour and the power of darkness. 
yes, that was Satan's hour. That was the mother of all opportune times for the devil. The time when he thought he had triumphed over God. But oh, how wrong he was. So let's pull it back to here at the start of Jesus' public ministry, here in the wilderness, and here for us at the start of Lent. We're given a powerful sign of hope. For Jesus shows us that the devil's temptations can be resisted. We are not powerless. We are not. There is hope. And I have to say this, the devil is not as subtle or as clever as he or we might think he is. Indeed, he lacks creativity. The way he tempted Jesus in the wilderness and the, and the ways in which he tempts us today are not really so dissimilar. The three basic temptations were instant gratification, stones into bread, worship something other than God, oldest one in the book, and put God to the test. And the devil's always trying to pull one of these over us. But next time that you're tempted in one of these ways, or in any way, remember you are not bound to fall to those temptations. It is not inevitable. Instead, put your hope and your trust in Jesus, who has not only paved the way, he's blazed the trail of victory. And alongside this hope, we are also to take up, and this is my second point, to take up what is described elsewhere as the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God, the Bible, that's right. The straightforward, you don't have to be clever, the straightforward use of the Bible is the second and powerful way that we can resist temptation. The devil says, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. And Jesus says, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil said, if you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And Jesus said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. How important then is it for us to know what's written in the pages of Scripture. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. But you know, sharp swords require careful handling. Did you notice how the second time Jesus had said to the devil, it is written, the devil then comes back and uh, tries to be clever with his third temptation. It is written, said the devil. And he proceeded to tempt Jesus with an out-of-context quote from the psalm that we sang from today. The point is we need to know our Bibles so that when someone starts misquoting the Bible or taking verses out of context, we will know how to counter that as Jesus did. But there's more here. 
You know, given how strong Jesus was, these temptations must have had some power to them. So this is why I say I don't want to write them off as nothing. There were, they were real temptations, and they were powerful. So I wonder what else motivated and equipped and enabled Jesus to resist the devil. You see, resisting temptation takes more than having hope in Jesus. We'd all say yes to that if we're followers of Jesus, right? It takes more than knowing our Bibles. Those of us who are believers know that's the thing to do. And so, you see, simply trying harder and working harder and learning more memory verses and praying a bit more is not going to be enough. There's something else going on here, and I think it's the most important thing. The third way that we can resist temptation is by drawing on the power of God's love for us. You see, what was it that enabled Jesus to withstand the temptations in the desert at the start of his ministry? And then, much harder, that enabled Jesus to resist the temptations at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. What was it that enabled Jesus to go through um, with indescribable pain and suffering all the way to the cross? Why did Jesus come in the first place? Why did he come and suffer? Well, the answer is, it was because of love. His love for you. And there's power in that love. Great power. That's why Jesus came. Jesus already had everything in the universe. He was there in the beginning with God. The word was God The word was right there. He had all things under his feet. And yet, he laid aside his majesty because there was one thing he didn't have. It was not that he was inadequate or lacking something he needed, but there was one thing he didn't have. He did not have us. For so long as we were bound up and caught in the unspeakable, uh, the unbreakable then grip of the devil's assaults and temptations and the consequences of sin, we were separated from God. But it was God's love for the world that led God to take such drastic action to take on the devil and the power of sin and the consequences of sin, which is death. So when you face temptation, as I guarantee you will, whether it's in the next two minutes or later today or tomorrow or the next day, what will you do? Will you play with the lies and the whispers? Will you toy with temptation? Or will you remember Jesus' love for you. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to the disciples who were with him, falling asleep, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. And so likewise for us today, in this season of Lent, and always, the challenge remains, watch and pray so that you will not fall 
into temptation. Thank God that he helps us to do this. Thank God for his strength that is made perfect even in our weakness. Thank God for the hope he has given us in Jesus, for his word given to us in the Bible, and above all, for his love for us, with which he reaches out and empowers us again and again and again. Let me close with these words from St. James chapter 4. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen.